This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me on the other side this evening is Mr. Jeff Abercrombie. Jeff, welcome back. You were with me opening night of the first round of the NFL Draft. We've done the rookie mock draft. We did the IDP ranking show. But now tonight you're going to be joining me to do the NFC team-by-team draft recaps. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, Paul. Um, I get to get talk about my 49ers because you gave me kindly the NFC West. So that's going to be fun. And uh, I think uh, super bummed that the IDP ranking show, I think we got cut short with my spotty Lake Tahoe Wi-Fi, um, but I think as you go through the NFC East, I might be able to put a little Micah Parsons nugget out there that uh, dropped off last time around, so remind me to circle back on that one. Absolutely, so looking forward to this. If you guys missed the last episode, Chris Tripodi joined me, and we recap team by team every AFC team. Please make sure you get back and listen to that. Here at Saturday to Sunday, we do like to allow some time to pass after our instant reaction shows when we are just rapid fire sharing our thoughts on every single pick draft weekend. We then turn the page. We do a little bit of dynasty ranking talk. We do some IDP rankings. We did the mock draft. But then we like to circle back, you know, three, four weeks have passed since the draft finished. Now we kind of look at the big picture. What did the teams do? And so we're going to be going through tonight. I'm going to lead the NFC East and the NFC South. Jeff is going to lead the NFC West and the NFC North. And we're going to go through talking about our favorite picks they made, our value picks, most questionable picks, a little bit of a a full recap on what we thought of their draft class. So, Jeff, why don't you kick it off? We're going to start tonight with the NFC North. Thanks, Paul. And I did get these kind of alphabetical in my notes. Maybe I missed the alphabet, so pardon (laughs) if I did, but uh, hopefully I got this right. Um, So just starting with the Chicago Bears, uh, they had a uh, really strong, you know, first uh, two days and then a few only a few picks after that. So in round one, Justin Fields falls to them at pick 11. And in round two, they go up and they grab uh, Tevin Jenkins at pick 39. And then you know, we don't really hear from them until day three where they get Larry Borum, the guard from Missouri, uh, at pick 151. And then just notably, I have two more names here from round six, Khalil Herbert, the running back out of Virginia Tech, and Daz Newsom, the wide receiver out of UNC. So um, maybe just kind of taking through first, my favorite pick, I think probably will align across the board for pretty much anybody coming on this show would say Justin Fields is their their favorite pick. I mean, he's probably the number two overall player on a lot of boards. Um, Not even just because he's a quarterback, but because of the talent he brings. Um, And then it's just phenomenal that they got him at pick 11 and it also addresses a position of need for them. So just favorite pick across the board. He brings a dynamic playmaking, both with his legs and with his arm. I I love how, you know, he'll stretch the play and he'll get really chunk yard, like chunk yards throughout his, his, his deep ball, really good deep ball. And um, maybe he fell because, you know, there are some perceived flaws in his game, but flaws are just an opportunity to grow. And so the fact that he still has room to grow from where he is now is, I think, is just amazing. Um, And then um, because I picked Fields as my favorite, 
Uh, you could also argue he's a value, but I'll say Tevin Jenkins is also a value because he was somebody who had some late round one buzz and they got him uh, in the early second round. And I think, again, just filling in a, a, a position of need um, on their offensive line there. And so um, not to pick on Larry Borum or anything, but, uh, you know, it's really hard to pick apart a fifth round pick um, who was expected to go on day three. Um, but con- considering I, I picked the other ones for favorite and value, um, we'll just look at Larry Borum there. It's maybe just a tad of a reach here. Yeah, I mean, I really like what the Bears did. I mean, their aggressiveness in trading up for Justin Fields, yes, it cost them, you know, a four and a, and a one next year to the Giants and another, you know, in a fifth rounder this past year as well. But they needed to change the culture there. They needed to to bring in a quarterback prospect that was different than what they had, a high-level upside player. I think Justin Fields, I've got on record as saying I thought he was the second most talented quarterback in this class. So I, I applaud the the bold move, and we talked about that on the first night of the draft when, when you came on and we recapped round one, that they – they needed to be bold and they made the bold move up. They paid the the price, but that's the quarterback tax you pay. So I think it was the right value for them. It, it worked out for the giants too, but it, it was smart for the bears. I love the Tevin Jenkins pick. They they moved up to get him and they needed, they need to now fix that line. You know, that's a, that's one of their big question marks there. Yeah. I think you're right. You know, I don't see anything that I really questioned here either. I do like some of their late round picks too. I think a little Herbert and Daz Newsom both could have went earlier if they went in round four round five i don't think anybody would have been surprised i'm not a huge david montgomery fan so i'm gonna be interested to see i know kill Herbert's a little bit buried there with you know damien williams there now and Tariq cohen's still there but I, there's some there's a, a part of kill Herbert that i really like you know i know matt waldman you know said he saw some glimpses of dalvin cook in him and and there's a lot to like in terms of his explosiveness and Daz newsome he he tested poorly at his combine i think at, at his pro day i mean but he's a guy who was very productive and once upon a time, I didn't think there was a big difference between him as a vertical slot type player compared to some of the guys who went, you know, round two, round three of this draft. So I think Daz Newsom could be a guy that really, you know, fell because of his poor 40 time, but could really rise up and be a guy that if they move on from Anthony Miller and all whispers are that they are going to move on sooner rather than later, does Daz Newsom get a chance there to be a, their, their slot at some point down the line? And he would intrigue me a little bit. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I applaud the Bears. I thought they had a really strong draft. So why don't you keep this going and move right on to the next team? Great. So um, I actually really liked uh, what the Detroit Lions did in their draft. So they came out and um, at pick seven, they stayed put and they got Panay Sewell, the tackle out of Oregon. Um, he got a lot of buzz, you know, some some landing spots earlier. Um, they get him at seven, which I think uh, they were they were doing cartwheels when that when then when his name was on the board. Um, they were also really high on Levi on Wuzurike, um, in round two, they got him at pick 41 that he's a deep tackle out of, uh, Washington. And they doubled up on that position in round three with Ali McNeil, the D tackle out of NC state. Um, and then at the end of round three, they grabbed Ifeitu Milofonu, the quarterback out of Syracuse. And on day three, they kicked it off with Amon Ross St. Brown, the wide receiver out of USC in round four. Um, and after, right after that picked, uh, Derek Barnes, the linebacker out of Purdue, which, and in their, their top, uh, five round picks, but, um, I'll just kind of note that Jermar Jefferson is a, is a guy people are pretty excited about. 
Um, then they grabbed him in the seventh round. He's the running back out of Oregon State. Um, I'm going to double up with my favorite pick and my value pick here, um, which is Amon Ross St. Brown, who I thought was almost a for sure day two prospect. And I was really shocked that he was um, still available. Um, He's a very polished wide receiver. He's a great fit um, with Jared Goff there and what, what Jared Goff and his strengths are. And, um, you know, I think, you know, there were guys picked on round two, um, Dwayne Eskridge, Tutu Atwell. Um, they're different kind of players. Those guys, you know, every the NFL always puts a, a premium and, and maybe overdraft speed. Um, but that's why I think Detroit got a real value here uh, with Amon Ross St. Brown. And then just as a question, we'll pick if I'm, if I'm nitpicking, like I said, I really like their draft, but they doubled up on um, D tackle, which it's, you know, that's a position that, that doesn't really play more than half the snaps a lot of the time, um, especially if you have a good rotation going and you just picked on Rizike, um the round earlier. And so I'm okay with the value here. Um, it's really just, did, did you need to detackle prospects? Um, uh, especially if they were going to go um, with what the coaches are saying in a three, four. Um, so maybe owner ZK is kind of more of the uh, D end, the in, inside D end in the three, four um, with McNeil playing the nose tackle. Um, what I do like about it is uh, I do like the building along the trenches that they did in the first three picks. Um, but just think that, you know, there's, there were some, they've got holes across the board and they probably could have gone maybe a little bit of a different direction with, you know, I think early round three, you're still some premium picks there. Yeah, I'm right there with you in lockstep. I really like what they did. They're using the inside-outside approach. They're building from the inside. They're building from the trenches. You know, in Sewell there, it was a no-brainer pick. I think they, if he was not there, I think they might have looked to move down, and I would have thought that that might have been the right play if that was the case. But when Sewell falls there... I think it's I think he's the type of guy you start building the foundation around, right? Like if if you know Jalen Waddle didn't go, you know, earlier the pick before, maybe they don't want a wide receiver there. So do they take one in the cornerbacks? Do they take the wide receiver? Obviously their depth chart of wide receiver was very light, but are they ready for that type of player yet? And would a guy like Jalen Waddle fit with Jared Goff? I'm not sure. And maybe you're not making an investment right now based on Jared Goff being the long-term piece, but we'll never know. But I do think when Sewell fell there, it was a no-brainer. I like both the defensive tackles. I could see the reasoning of saying maybe it was a little bit too rich going back-to-back there, but I do like both of the players there. And then the Monroe St. Brown, you know, I think sometimes it gets lost in translation that when we're talking fantasy to just understanding value and, and pick, I really, really like Amon Ross St. Brown. You said it. He was one of the most, I thought, the most polished route runners in the class, and he was one of the most pro-ready receivers in this draft class to come in and make an impact. Now, if you've been listening to shows since that have talked dynasty rankings, somebody might say, well, Paul's not that high on Amon Ross St. Brown. He keeps talking about he's being overdrafted. That's because he does the fourth round draft capital does matter when we're talking about fantasy football a little bit and we're trying to make rankings and lists. But as a player himself, love the player, love the fit. He could be Jared Goff's Cooper Cup-like player in the slot if he earns that starting role. That's where there's still room for debate. The fantasy community has just kind of penciled him in that he's going to get this workload. He might, and if he does, 
I think he's going to be really good at it. But as a fourth round pick, he just doesn't have the draft capital to say for sure that we know that. But I love the pick. I think he could be a guy there who's a long-term starting slot receiver. I think he's got some outside versatility as well. I will say one other thing I slightly question, and it's not the player. I like Derek Barnes a lot, but they gave up their fourth round pick next year. And a team that's probably going to be in, in the bottom five in terms of worst teams in the league I'd be a little leery about giving up future draft capital because there's a very strong likelihood that that's one of the first picks on day three next year. And there always seems to be a lot of value in those picks as teams kind of reset their board after night two. So trade value next year or just for themselves. I like Barnes the player, but it was, it wasn't a huge jump. I think it was only like 20 or 30 picks and it cost them a four next year. That might be my only thing that I'd gripe with even more than the defensive tackles. But all in all, I'm right there with you. Uh, really like the draft. So why don't you keep yeah. it going? Yeah, that sounds good. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to touch on Derek Barnes a little bit, so I'm sure. glad you did. Because, I, I mean, I think you said it really well. Maybe it was the trade um, value, but I, I mean, I think even Derek Barnes at you know 113 would have been a value and he could have gone earlier, um, especially as I dug in more. Uh, about him post draft um and just you know his story coming from d d line you know edge rusher to off ball linebacker and just the way he's learning the position and attacks it they they're actually really really high on him so i actually think he'll make a good um impact uh year one even um next to jamie collins um Moving along in the NFC North, uh, we get to the Green Bay Packers. Um, this is another draft I actually really liked. Um, I think people might question at first their round one pick of Eric Stokes, the cornerback out of Georgia. I really like that pick. Um, they came back at the end of round two and picked out uh, Josh Myers, the center out of OSU. Um, in round three, they grabbed... Uh, Amari Rogers, the wide receiver out of Clemson, um, hopefully supporting um, a new weapon for Aaron Rodgers. We'll see how that turns out. Um, in round four, um, they picked Royce Newman, the guard out of Mississippi. And in round five, they picked up uh, to Daryl Slayton, the DT out of uh, Florida, and Shermar Jean Charles, the cornerback out of Appalachian State. And I wanted to touch on on two uh, six uh, later picks. Um, they are very bare at linebacker. So they picked up Isaiah McDuffie uh, out of Boston College um, in, uh, in round six. And in round seven, they picked up actually, uh, I think, a great value at running back um, in Kylan Hill, the running back out of Mississippi State. So since I just touched on him as the value pick, um, I, I mean, Kylan Hill's got an interesting story as well. I think 2020... That it's a frustrating situation for him, for sure. Um, I know that kind of led to an early opt-out. But at the same time, you know, we saw him as a great runner earlier in his career. And the questions were, could he be a complete back? And he was able to show that very quickly, um, uh, you know, out there at, at Mississippi State. So um, he showed that receiving capability. He has um, the tools to profile um, as a guy that can just continue to develop and, and provide a lot of value to the team. Again, we're not talking fantasy. I think we're talking real football here. And, um, and I think that that's a, just a great addition to, to really round, up, round out a full running back room. Um, and then so I'll go to my favorite pick here, which is Amari Rogers. Um, I've already kind of waxed uh, poetic about Amari Rogers, but 
Um, I really see him as as a very Debo Samuel like wide receiver. And if you look at uh, what Green Bay's offense did last year, I mean, I think they could use a player like that. Um, and, and I think they have the coach to really utilize it as well. Um, you see a lot of guys chasing that type of profile. Um, and you kind of have that Shanahan McVay tree um, spread across with LaFleur there. Um, he's a very solid number two. Um, he's going to complement Adams really well. Um, and he's going to have a great um, ability when he's schemed the ball with his hands. So he's a very underrated player. Um that I think went where he was supposed to go. And then just since I mentioned I ha- they had a really solid draft, they might have dipped a little bit for need with their top picks, but all those guys went where I was kind of expecting, and they got solid players that filled major needs at cornerback, center, and wide receiver. So I'm not going to really you know, put too much of a questionable pick, questionable pick in there, but I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I mean – I like some of what they did. I thought the Kylan Hill pick was really interesting in round seven. I've got on record of saying I never thought he was a day two guy, which I know some people thought that was his ceiling before the year started or in the previous college football season. I always saw him as a very comparable player to Zach Moss. So when Zach Moss goes round three and Kylan Hill goes round seven, I'm going to say there's value there. Now, I thought Zach Moss was overdrafted by a round or so, and I thought Kylan Hill was more of a round four, round five type player. So to get him in round seven, I think is, is good value, you know, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, Kylan Hill, they're pretty stacked at the running back position with youth there and different style players, right? You know, A.J. Dillon is that big physical type guy with really good straight line speed. Aaron Jones is that great pass catcher, you know, is quicker than fast, really good contact balance. And then Kylan Hill showed some receiving capabilities late in his college career, but could also be that guy that, like Zach Moss, contact balance, power, physical. So I I like that room collectively. Amari Rogers is hands down my favorite pick. They needed a guy like that who can get the ball. I like Debo comparison. He can be what Randall Cobb was. If if Aaron Rodgers is still there, Amari Rodgers can be his new Randall Cobb. And I think that would would really help that offense. If I was going to say anything questionable, I like Stokes. I think he's a little raw. If he puts it all together, I think he could be a top-level cornerback. There might have been another cornerback or two that I preferred before Stokes that I think you could make a slight argument that maybe they could have went in a different direction there. And I think you can make a legitimate argument that they could still have used an outside wide receiver that maybe, while I like Amari Rodgers, would it have behooved them in round one or round two to maybe pivot towards more of a outside wide receiver? But that wasn't really the strength of this year's draft class, right? You know, this, the strength of this year's draft class was a lot of really good slot people, slot wide receivers, you know, and there wasn't a lot of prototypes. Like, you know, unless they took a guy like Terrace Marshall where they were picking, that's the only guy that really could have profiled more of that traditional outside guy, even though he played some slot at LSU as well. But all in all, I like some of the things they did. I think you can maybe say that was Stokes the right corner, but if he puts it all together, you're talking about a high-level player. Yeah, and, you know, do you want um, – I mean, I'll, I'll leave – I'll stay with Aaron uh, Eric Stokes. Do you want Stokes and Amari Rogers, or did you want maybe Terrace Marshall and maybe Melifonu or something like that? And it's – I think you pick your preference for what you want on your team there. Um, so not not too many concerns on my own end there. 
Um, I'll move to Minnesota. The the Vikings um, got a really good deal in round one. Christian Derisaw, the offensive tackle out of uh, Virginia Tech, fell to them at pick 23. And then on the top of round three, they pick out Kellen Mond, quarterback out of Texas A&M, and fill out several more picks within round three with Chaz Surratt, the linebacker out of UNC, Wyatt Davis, the guard out of OSU, and Patrick Jones, the defensive end out of Pittsburgh or Pitt. Um, in round four, um, they go ahead and they draft um, speedy back, running back out of Iowa State, Kenny Nuangu, and cornerback uh, out of Cal, Cameron Bynum, uh, edge out of Florida State University, uh, Janarius Robinson. And in round five, they round out their draft with Amir Smith-Marset, wide receiver out of Iowa, and Zach Davidson, uh, tight end out of central Missouri. So I didn't like a lot of what the Vikings did here. I think um, they really uh, they, they, they really kind of reached um, in pretty much all of their picks. So my favorite and my value or my favorite and my value pick will be Christian Derisaw. I think he fell into their lap and he could have gone a lot earlier. Um, I had seen, even seen him mocked at up into the teens, like at the, the Chargers, if they hadn't gotten Slater. So, you know, I think he's kind of similar value to Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, who also went early. So I think value at 23 and uh, everybody knew they that was a major need for them. Um, yet they still are able to land um, a really impact player there. Um, and then I'll just start with my I, I don't really like a lot of the other players that they picked. Maybe I'll highlight Chaz Surratt as a very interesting prospect, but um, very, very raw as he transitions from quarterback to linebacker and see how he plays uh, in the NFL. My questionable pick will be Kellen Mond. And, you know, when you were, when you were talking on the AFC side, I, you know, I thought that there was really good arguments about the value of a backup quarterback. So, um, if that's what you're getting out of here, I think you can make a good argument for that. Personally, I think, you know, Mond has a lot of starting experience. And if he was ever going to piece it together, he probably already would have. So, yes, he makes spectacular throws, spectacular plays. He's got, you know, that sort of more new age physique for a quarterback. But his is sort of just, you know, pulls my hair out the the inconsistency that he has. Um, and it, when it, when I see this level of inconsistency with a guy with as much experience, I just see that as a major red flag. Um, and, and yeah, I'll let you touch on what you thought of maybe some of the other guys here. Uh, maybe Kenny Nwangu, who's kind of mostly just a special teams guy at, in round four, I think just another one. Yeah. I mean, I'll start right there. That was a head scratching pick because, you know, they have, you know, Dalvin Cook locked up long term. They have Alexander Madison. I just think a fourth round pick there. You're you're stretching to get a guy who's strictly gonna be a special team to, you know, maybe down the line he could develop into a little bit more, but I just thought you could have went in a different direction. The, the Kellen Mond pick is is intriguing for sure. And and Chris Tripodi on the last episode talked about the value of a backup quarterback for the contracts and stuff like that. And it's a strong argument. And it's, I'm sure it's an argument that a lot of NFL teams use. Me personally, I'm not aiming for a backup quarterback at pick 66 in an NFL draft. I see too many 
veteran players and really good players get traded for third round and fourth round picks, that to me, the value of, of third and fourth round picks should be aimed at higher than getting a backup quarterback, especially early third round. Like this was the second pick in the third round. So this was pretty much a guy on their board who my guess is in their top 50. So like you're drafting a guy in the top 50. I would think that the Vikings look at him and think he could, he's a future starter. And I'm under the belief if you don't get your quarterback in round one, the odds of you hitting on that are so low that it's such a wasted pick in my eyes. Day two quarterback picks to me are a really wasted, you know, investment. I I don't mind if you want to say every year you're going to take a shot at someone in day three and hope that you, you know, win the lotto. Sure. But most of those guys don't pan out in round five, round six, round seven. So I'm fine taking a stab there. But I think at pick 66, you should be aiming to take a starter. And if they think Kellen Mond can be that, fine. I differ in opinion in that. I like the athletic traits. His highs are really high, but he hasn't been able to put it all together at college. I find it hard to believe he's going to put it all together at the NFL. At the NFL, I do think the fit is good with that Gary Kubiak style offense. A lot of bootleg, a lot of motion, get the quarterbacks out on the run. That's where Kellen Mond shines. So we talked a lot about best scheme, the quarterback fit, right? You know, with you know, what the 49ers did and and stuff with Trey Lance. So I do think the scheme to quarterback fit there is really intriguing. So I'm, I'm open to maybe seeing how it works down the line, but if they think he's just a backup quarterback, I hate the pick. The Darisau pick was the one that I agree with you, best pick, best value. They got, they traded back and still got him. They picked up two third rounders, questionable whether or not I liked what they did with them. I do, I do like Wyatt Davis the most in terms of their third-round picks. I do think he could be a long-term, solid-to-good starting NFL guard. So that's probably another pick that I just wanted to touch on that I was intrigued by there. Any closing thoughts on the NFC North or the Vikings there before I take it over to the NFC East? No, no. That's, uh, I think we can keep moving. All right. So let's take this over to the NFC East. Kick it off with the Dallas Cowboys. They make a trade in the first round. They fall back two spots because they wanted one of the quarterbacks. But when JC Horn and Patrick Sertan went off the board, they made the trade with the Eagles. Eagles moved up for Devonta Smith. They move back and they take linebacker Micah Parsons out of Penn State. Finally say his name right after the IDP ranking show, butchering that about 12, 20 to 22 times. He's their first round pick. Round two, they tell Kelvin Joseph, the cornerback out of Kentucky. Round three, Osa Odigizua out of UCLA, defensive lineman. Round three, they also took Chauncey Golston, defensive end out of Iowa. Late round three, they took Nashawn Wright, cornerback out of Oregon State, one of the most head-scratching picks of the draft. Round four, Jabril Cox out of LSU, the linebacker. And then in terms of late round – oh, and and also in round four, they took Josh Ball, offensive tackle out of Marshall – In round five, they took Simi Fioku, wide receiver out of Stanford. Favorite pick, and I'm going to say it's also the value pick. Actually, I'll say favorite pick is Micah Parsons because hands down, he was, I think, the best defensive player in this draft that if he was completely clean and there was no character concerns, if he went top six, top eight, I think it would have been warranted, right? We've seen how high Devin Bush, Devin White went. I don't think Micah Parsons is off from those guys in terms of skill and talent. Interested to see how he 
fits with the Cowboys. And I'm really intrigued when I send it over to you to kind of hear your thoughts on Micah Parsons that we didn't get a chance to hear when we did the IDP ranking show. So he's my favorite pick. Value pick, hands down, is Jabril Cox in round four. I don't think they wanted to go back to the linebacker well, but I didn't see a scenario where Jabril Cox wasn't a, a round two or round three pick. So the fact that he was sitting there 10 picks into round four, I think was a no-brainer. And then most questionable pick, I think it has to be Nashawn Wright. Nobody had him as a top 100 player everywhere you saw him as a late round six, round seven, priority free agent. I know he's got length. I know that's what their new defensive coordinator wants. But I think I see a pick like that, and I think to myself, why couldn't you wait to round four? Why couldn't you wait to round five? Still rounds earlier than where they were projected to go but maybe not reach as high as they did. So that would be the most questionable thing and waiting as long as they did to get, uh, and obviously they had a pivot. I'll just say questionable completely, a lot of character issues, a lot of character concerns, right? From some stuff with Parsons to Joseph to uh, Ball, a lot of players that were red flagged due to some off the field or character issues from all different varying levels. Josh Ball being the worst, you know, but other ones from Joseph and, and Parsons as well that make it questionable in its own right there in that regard. So, Jeff, thoughts on Micah Parsons? Because I've been waiting since the IDP show to hear your take on him. Oh man, I, I mean, I would, I would love to kind of be back in the flow of that conversation to know exactly where I was going with that. Um, he, he is, I think, probably one of my favorite defensive players of the draft. And uh, I listened to a pretty fascinating interview, and I, I wish I could remember which uh, radio show to give credit to, but um, they had him on, and they were talking through, you know, his, uh, you know, his fit down to Dallas, sort of, you know, what's his expectations when he's going down there. And, um, you know, he, he, this was the interview where he mentioned that they were transitioning to a three, four defense. Um, now again, I think we've talked about how that designation may not make a lot of sense as teams vary their looks a lot. Um, but I found that that to be very fascinating as maybe he and, uh, Jalen Smith, uh, patrol the middle and it might free him up for a lot of, um, a and B gap blitzes and stunts, um, which will really leverage his strengths. Um, I, I think you're wasting Micah Parsons if you don't have him blitzing a handful of times a game. Um, he really should be going after the quarterback and attacking that backfield. Um, and then just to the character concerns, I, I think you highlighted a lot of them. One of the things that we don't get as analysts, um, we don't get a chance to interview these players most of the time, right? We can't talk to them. Um, the one part, the one thing about Micah Parsons that I did hear, um, was also addressed in this interview, you know, he owned up to it. He, he owned up to the fact that he made a mistake as an 18 year old and, or, or whenever that kind of happened. And, you know, he's personally said he's grown from it and you learn from it. And that's what you kind of have to hope, um, happens. And, you know, it's eventually you're mature, you're an adult, this is your job. Let's hope he takes it that way. Um, if you take this much character concerns, um, some are bound to to bite you as a 49ers fan when they've been just as risky um, in the previous regime with their picks. Um, you've seen those kind of explode as well. I think Ruben Foster comes to mind. And then I just finally agree that the fact that they were able to pick up Jabril Cox. Um, I know they had just went with Micah Parsons. They have a crowded linebacker room. But Jalen Smith had 
up and down play last year, and he's on a major contract. Leighton Vander Esch just can't stay healthy, a neck issue is major concerns. You know, they might actually have the anchor of their defense through this draft uh, in the middle there. So pretty, pretty happy, I think, with at least them addressing the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, they needed to upgrade on the defensive side of the ball, and they went all in, right, besides the one pick on offensive tackle there. They just kept putting all their resources on the defensive side of the ball, and that's what they needed to do. And if a couple of them hit and become really good players, you know, they're going to take great strides on the defensive side of the ball, which is what they need to do. So let's take this to the New York football Giants. In round one, after trading back with the Bears, we talked about that trade. They pick up a future one and four and an additional pick this past year in round five to move back from 11 to 20. They take wide receiver Kadarius Tony out of Florida in round two. At pick 50, they took Aziz Ojolari, edge out of Georgia. In round three, at pick 71, they took Aaron Robinson at a UCF, the cornerback. In round four, they took Ellerson Smith, edge out of Northern Iowa. And those were their only picks in the first four, in the first five rounds of the draft. Nothing really too notable later on. Gary Brightwell, Rodarius Williams, more mostly special team guys. In terms of my favorite pick, I'm going to say the Kadarius Tony pick combined with the trade down, something that they didn't sit there after they got sniped by the Eagles trading up for Devonta Smith and just make a pick panic. They had this trade scenario worked out. So when you tell me that they get Kadarius Tony, a fifth round pick that then they were able then to use to move up to get their third round pick. And then a one and a four next year that combined with Kadarius Tony. And what I think he means for the offense I think it means a a signal change that they're going to be open it up more, that they're going to be more creative, that they're going to find ways to maximize Kadarius Tony's skill set. I think the pick is more about maybe a little bit of a culture shift in terms of that offensive scheme, whether it's Garrett at the helm or someone down the line in the future. I think Kadarius Tony offers that kind of upside. In terms of value pick, I think you go with their round two or round three pick. I think Ojolari was penciled in as a top 20 to 25 pick, fell because of some concerns about his knee. So I thought getting him at pick 50 after they traded down again and picked up a future third rounder from Miami was great. And I also think Aaron Robinson, if he would have went you know, late round two, I don't think anybody would have been that surprised. Giants get him uh, in round three there after a small trade up to make sure they got him because they liked him so much. And I think you could even say Allison Smith uh, in round four, if it's a different type of year, I think Ellerson Smith, if there's a combine, I think Ellerson Smith could have been a guy who stock really rose and he could have been a top 70, top 80 type pick. Instead, the Giants gamble on the long athletic pass rusher who's got to harness his skills but got a lot of high upside. That type of upside pass rusher usually doesn't make it to round four, to be honest with you. In terms of questionable picks, it might sound weird, but I think you can make the case that the Kadarius Tony pick is also very questionable from two fronts. One, they did not address the offensive line at all. So I think it's definitely legitimate concern and questionable to say, should they have just stayed at 11 and taken Rayshon Slater, the second best offensive lineman? Some even had him as the best. And then also the part that makes it a little bit questionable is, is if they're not changing philosophy and going to open it up more and be more creative. And it's just going to be the same stale, stagnant Jason Garrett offense. Then is Kadarius Tony just a wasted pick 
because they're not, it's not the right offense for his skill set and they're not going to maximize his strengths, which you need to do to take advantage of a player like him. So there are two aspects of, of saying it's also a very questionable pick in its own right. Jeff, any thoughts? I know we've talked a lot about Kadarius Tony. Any thoughts hold together on the Giants or any of the defensive guys that you want to that you want to share since we've talked so much about Tony? I uh yeah, I can I, I mean we see this very eye to eye. I think both defensive players, um, and actually all three of them uh were really good values. Um Aaron Robinson was one of my favorite cornerbacks that I was I was hoping San Francisco would target. Um, Ojolari, I think, uh, and, and Smith, if we put them together, really add a lot of, um, pressure off the edge that I think, um, should help this defense. I'm going to, as far as Tony goes, I think you're right. You know, I probably would have put one of the defensive guys for my favorite pick. I also see why he would be a favorite pick of yours and the questionable pick. I don't have a lot of faith in Jason Garrett personally. I think he's just sort of, uh, um, you're, you're trying to make a square peg round hole kind of thing, asking him to change, but I have a lot of faith in Joe judge. And, um, and I think, uh, what Joe judge did with this team last year, with the improvement of the offensive line over the year, with the, the way that that defense took a massive step, um, to becoming one of the better units in the league. Um, I think that's, you know, catered under his leadership. And I think if he has to, um, they'll make a change, um, and I think we've talked about that before. Um, so hopefully, um, the optimism that you've rained down over the last uh, month with Kadarius Tony uh, pays out. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not naive enough or biased enough to to not see why people question the pick. And if they would have sat there at 11 and taken Kadarius Tony, this would have been a very different conversation. Like I would not have been as excited about the pick in any way because it would have been a reach. And then you would have been like, you took him over a stud offensive lineman. Is he, are we going to know how to utilize his skill set? But to me, when you make that trade back, it almost buys you the ability to, to be a little bit more of a gamble because you now have that first round pick in your back pocket from next year and a valuable fourth when it's probably going to be a loaded draft class next year with things yeah. hopefully fully back to normal. So when you combine the trade and then the pick, I'm a big fan of it. If they would have stayed at 11 and made that pick, I would have had a very different feel uh, of it. So it's very interesting how you take it. I understand the concerns. I understand some of the criticism. And then I also understand the optimism when you take into account the future assets that they brought in. And I think people are, are still, like I've said for a month, underselling maybe Tony's upside that's there. Mm -hmm. And people are worried too much just about the scheme fit. And I'll, I'm just going to say, I think that'll take care of itself at some point. Mm -hmm. We just don't know how soon, right? That's the that's the that's the elephant in the room. So let me keep this going. Go to the Philadelphia Eagles. I was a huge fan. I hate to say it, but a huge fan of their their draft at pick ten after a small trade up. And we can't lose sight that I think pre draft they made one of the most brilliant trades, trading back with the uh, the the Dolphins after. The Dolphins go from three to twelve, and then they want to get back up. So the Eagles take a first round pick from them. And then by doing that, they're now picking at 12, 
but then it only cost them a third rounder to go from 12 to 10, and they get Devonta Smith, who they might have taken if they just stayed at six to begin with. So it's really a, a job well done by their front office to maneuver the draft board, walk away with Devonta Smith and a future first-round pick. They probably are getting a first-round pick from the Carson Wentz trade. They might be staring at three first-round picks. The rumors that I don't want to hear are true, that if Deshaun Watson gets cleared and can play football, that the Eagles are at the top of the list of making a bold move. They could offer Jalen Hurts. They have three first-round picks. They have the assets. Them in Miami, I think, are, are going to be all in. That's a different story for another day, but it's just something that those collection of assets could really cash out, and that trade back with Miami could end up being the catalyst of why maybe they can really be aggressive to go get a guy like Deshaun Watson if and when he becomes available. In round two, a pick five, they took pick 37 overall, pick five in round two. They took Landon Dickerson, center out of Alabama. Round three, Milton Williams, defensive tackle out of Louisiana Tech. Round four, Zach uh, Zach McPherson, cornerback out of Texas Tech. Round five, Kenneth Gainwell, running back out of Memphis. My favorite pick is Devonta Smith, ready kind of touched upon there. Devonta Smith with the trade, brilliant move by them. I don't have concerns about the size and the frame. I think he's going to be fine. So I think he's going to be a guy who immediately steps in, large work uh, workload, high market share, inside-outside versatility, his route running, and he has played at that size his whole career. He's found a way to create separation. He's tough. He's physical, even at that frame. I think he's going to be a home run pick there for the for the Eagles. Value pick, Kenneth Gainwell by far. If he would have went late round two or round three, I would have totally been okay with it because to me, he's that modern-day running back, that space player. He's not a guy who's going to handle 15 to 16 carries a game, but he could be a guy who easily eight to nine carries, four to six receptions, I think he was one of the best receiving backs in this class. So to get him in round five, when I think teams are looking for that type of player, I was very surprised with. While I loved, in terms of questionable, two things. A little bit of a wait to get a cornerback. They were very much in need of a cornerback. I thought prior to their trade up, I thought they were hoping a guy like J.C. Horn or Sertan fell to them. Obviously, that didn't materialize. So I do think I was surprised that they didn't go cornerback at some point a little earlier. McPherson, more of an inside nickel guy. I think they needed a, a more outside guy. And then you could make the case that is 37 just too high for Landon Dickerson? While he has the upside to be the best interior offensive lineman by far in this class, the injuries and the question marks that surround him are really high. That is pick 37 a little bit too rich with, with some with all those concerns. So I think not taking a cornerback earlier and the injury concerns that come with Dickerson, even though I love the player and love the upside, love the fit there uh, to, to take over at some point down the line as their starting center is something I like. I do think it's a little bit questionable. Jeff, thoughts on what the Eagles did? Yeah, uh, I mean, very savvy draft moves day one. I mean, first of all, you know, knowing knowing the board and jumping the Giants, picking up extra assets, um, being willing to just kind of accumulate value that's there. I mean, that's kind of what, you know, we advocate for fantasy players to do in their rookie drafts is um, 
trade back, get value, kind of attack where, you know, attack the board where things land. So, um, and Devonta Smith is one of my favorite players. Just, um, I mean, I love Jamar Chase. I love, actually, I love Jalen Waddle just as much, but um, what Devonta Smith does with his frame, um, I'm not questioning it at all. I'm just saying that, you know, he manages to, um, he manages to make Derek Stingley look like a, you know, like a, like a true freshman <laughs> um, who, without all of the fanfare. Uh, he looked a um, uh, lot of love for Devonta Smith. Um, I do like Landon Dickerson a lot. I do recognize um, those concerns. You know, maybe you go cornerback at that pick. There were plenty of, of really good ones available. And maybe you come back to interior or O-line round three and D-tackle round four. Maybe that's a better use of that draft capital. Um, I can't remember where Creed Humphrey went, but um, maybe 73 was going to be enough to take him or within striking distance. And um, just as far as a good value with Kenneth Gainwell, I mean, we saw Miles Sanders struggle in the passing game a little bit last year. Now, that doesn't mean he can't do it and doesn't mean he's doomed to not be able to do it. But, you know, if Miles Sanders is a good, you know, explosive back that needs a compliment, Kenneth Gainwell is going to be a really good compliment um, to really round out um, a pretty uh, what could be a very strong backfield. Um, rather than putting the shouldering the load on only one guy. Um, so I do really like um, just being able to grab that value while, while it was there. Yeah, and Nick Sarini coming from Indianapolis, he is familiar with using that multi-backfield approach, right? And he might look at a guy like Ken Gainwell and see Naheem Hines, and that might be a role that he might have a very significant role. I was as high as could be in the fantasy landscape last year on Miles Sanders, I am not going to be anywhere near the the hype. I was totally okay last year, early round two, being all in on Miles Sanders. This year, very different approach. I think between Jalen Hurts stealing yards and touchdowns, Ken Gainwell maybe being a factor in terms of the passing game, I think Miles Sanders is going to take a little bit of a step back in terms of overall total workload and usage, and I think that's going to hinder him a little bit in fantasy football for sure. So let's take this to the Washington football team to round out the NFC East here. In round one of pick 19, they took uh, Jamin Davis, linebacker out of Kentucky. Round two, pick 51 overall, they took Sam Cosme, offensive tackle out of Texas. Round three, pick 74 overall, Benjamin St. Juice, cornerback out of Minnesota. Also in round three, pick 82 overall, De'Ami Brown, wide receiver out of North Carolina. Round four, pick 124 overall, they took John Bates, tight end out of Boise State. Round five, pick 163 overall. He took Derek Forrest, safety out of Cincinnati. One late noteworthy pick, I think in round seven, they took Shaka Tony, the edge, small edge out of Penn State. In terms of my favorite pick, I'm going to say my favorite pick was De'Ami Brown out of North Carolina in round three. I think you could also make the case it's a value pick, but I'll, I'll, I'll go somewhere else with there. But I do like De'Ami Brown. I think they needed another receiver there to complement what they have in place with Terry McLaurin, who's their top-level number one stud. They brought in Curtis Samuel, who can play outside, but I think his best home is inside in the slot. I thought they needed a true outside vertical receiver, and that's what De'Ami Brown is. So I think he really kind of – finalizes that three wide receiver set moving forward, add in 
tight end Logan Thomas, who made great strides this year. And I really like what they have there now as pass catchers with Antonio Gibson coming out of the backfield as a, a runner who they didn't even utilize his upset in the upside in the pass game yet. So I really like that pick. I thought he could have went in round two. There was even some late, late draft buzz that he could even have been a late round one. Obviously, that was not true if he falls all the way to pick 82. But I think it's a, a great pick. I think it's also a value pick. But I'll also say Sam Cosme was a good value pick because I think they needed an offensive lineman. Cosme was getting some late round one, early round two buzz. They get him 19 picks into round two. So I think that was a really good value there. In terms of questionable, John Bates in round four – I thought Bates is more of a round six, round seven guys. So I have some, you know, questions about that. But I think the bigger question is, did they miss out on an opportunity? Because they have a really talented roster, the Washington football team, when you really take into account how great their defense is. And I just talked about the playmakers and they got Antonio Gibson in the backfield. Did they miss that opportunity? Should they have been as aggressive as the Bears were in moving up, right? They were sitting there at pick 19. So they could have easily offered the Giants a very similar deal. Now, maybe the Giants wouldn't have won the dealt in division and given them a, a franchise quarterback, but who knows, right? I, we don't know. The Giants would have probably taken the best deal on the table, to be honest with you. So I think that's one thing that you could question. Are are they one quarterback away? Like, are they the Broncos of the NFC, right? The Broncos are a loaded roster in the AFC without a quarterback. Redskins, I feel like, are a pretty loaded roster now, but Ryan Fitzpatrick is who Ryan Fitzpatrick is, right? He can get hot. He can he can look great. You love his play style, but he's never been a winning quarterback. So, like, are they kind of stuck now for as long as Fitzpatrick's a guy? It might only be one year. But like he keeps him in that eight to eleven range window of wins, but not above that. Could they have made an aggressive move? I think is is, is something that we could at least question a little bit. Jeff, any thoughts about that first? Like, do you think do you agree with me that they're a team that's ready to win now if they get upgrade the quarterback? And should they have been more bold in in making that? Or any other thoughts on Washington? I would have loved to uh, see them land. Honestly, even a guy like Mac Jones, um, you know, I, I like Matt Jones for what he is, is a, is a good quarterback um, who can give the ball the good weapons, which they have. Um, if they couldn't go get Justin Fields, I, I think the one caveat there is they are a, a team that's a quarterback away and most rookie quarterbacks don't take you there um, regardless of how good they are, or how much promise they offer. So, you know, maybe they could have, and I guess it, it doesn't sound like Aaron Rodgers was really available on the draft day. Um, you know, but, uh, and I don't know how many vet- veterans they could really get that they can, they could plug in there, but, but that's sort of maybe the route that I would have gone. And I guess that's why you say they have Fitzpatrick, but I agree with you. He's, you know, you're going to have to get kind of a Nick Foles like Super Bowl run if they're going to make it that far. Um, so, you know, you're kind of talking a once in a decade kind of, uh, you know, appearance you know, with uh, being able to win a Super Bowl with a quarterback like that. Um, I, I do think um, they, because they have a solid team, you know, that's a solid team gives you the luxury to consolidate a lot of your draft capital and go get, you know, the last piece that you need. So yeah, they, sh- they were one of the teams I was watching to, um, they were one of the teams I was watching to, to move up and, and, you know, don't know if they did or they tried or, um, but, but, you know, we're sitting here looking at the draft like they didn't. 
Um, and so we can evaluate that. And, um, you know, I think just, you know, fantasy wise for IDP, Jamin Davis is one of the more interesting ones there. Just uh, he was a late riser, but he's going to be a great fit with the, the defensive front in front of him, just running around making plays. So from an IDP standpoint, he might be one of my favorite ones. Um, and I agree with Cosme as far as, uh, you know, a great value pick. And then just, um, you know, maybe to touch on Deami Brown, um, I'm really curious, you know, I, I do like your vision for it. I'm really curious what Ron Rivera is going to think about this, because I think there's a lot of uncertainty around the role that they're going to use Curtis Samuel in. Are they going to use Curtis Samuel the way Joe Brady did last year? Or are they going to use Curtis Samuel the way Ron Rivera did in 2019, um, where he was more of a deep threat? And he was very good at that. Um, you know, he was open a lot. And uh, oh, I forget their quarterback's name in 2019, who, who just couldn't get him the ball. Um, Brandon, no, Brandon Allen was on the Broncos. Uh, maybe you'll, you'll, you can kind of remind me there, but uh, uh, Curtis Samuel was running open deep and they, they just couldn't get him the ball. And so I'm really curious if, uh, um, if Ron Rivera will, um, will use him more in that way. And in that case, you know, what does Deami Brown do and where's his role or, or is it kind of the way that you see it where Curtis Samuel's kind of what they're doing in training camp, lining them up all around in the backfield, um, out wide, but inside too. And, and so maybe they get a little bit more creative. So we'll see what that happens. Um, but that, that'll be kind of one of the stories I'll watch this off season. Yeah, and you were thinking of Kyle Allen, so you were you were on the right last name, Kyle Allen. And yeah, you're right. That year, I remember having him in a lot of fantasy leagues, and when I would watch a Panthers game, it was really frustrating because he was always open down the field, and they just, you know, every week, you know, the amount of air yards that he had and the separation, you looked at like the next-gen stats, he was creating separation. It'll be interesting to see because, like, I just, I just kind of assumed he goes right into the slot there, and then that you know guy that is moved around a lot. But if he's a, more of that outside guy, well, then the question becomes: Is does that push Deami Brown further down the pecking order, or is it something that they're going to move guys all around? Because Terry McLaurin could play in the slot also, right? He's a guy that you know can play inside too. So it might just be that when they want to go three wide, Brown comes on the field. Like I wasn't, I wasn't hinting that he would be out there on two wide sets. I think Sam is going to be out there pretty much 80, 90% of the snaps, you know, two wide sets, you know, and then three wide sets, I think would be when maybe when they go three wide, somebody kicks inside, right? Whether it's, if, if he's on the field, I mean, if Brown's on the field, I think it would be McLaurin or Samuel probably kick inside, but that's definitely interesting because you're right. How Joe Brady used them compared to how the previous regime there in Carolina used them, which is now in, you know, Washington, you know, they did have a differing in opinions in terms of best way to employ uh, Curtis Samuel. So there it is, guys. NFC East in the book. Jeff, why don't you get right into it with the first team in the NFC West? So we'll start with Arizona Cardinals uh, in round one. They also go linebacker. They go Zayvon Collins, the linebacker out of Tulsa at 16 overall. And in round two, they go ahead and they select Rondale Moore, the wide receiver out of Purdue, the dynamic athlete there, um, 49, pick 49 overall. Uh, in round four, they select Marco Wilson, the quarterback cornerback out of Florida uh, at pick 136. And then I'm just going to you know, add one name that I found really interesting all the way down in round seven, Michael Manet, the center out of Penn State. Um 
So, and I'm going to go with, start with him there. The reason I mention him is because I thought they got a very good um, value. Uh, I think he's, he's someone who can immediately be a really good backup um, and develop into a potential starter, which is something that you don't normally see out of a round seven pick. Um, and he could potentially add in a little bit of versatility, um, you know, to play a couple multiple positions across the line to make sure that he really uh, solidifies a spot on the roster. Maybe he's like a super six man um, who, who could fill in in injuries and maybe eventually just take over a starting center role. Um, my favorite pick, though, uh, Rondale Moore, the wide receiver out of Purdue. Um, he just adds an element that they currently don't have. So, you know, they have A.J. Green. They have DeAndre Hopkins. You know, those are guys that are, you know, phenomenal outside receivers. I know A.J. Green might be, you know, a little bit in the slot this year. But we'll kind of see. They, they also have Isabella and Kirk um, to play inside. And I think what they're going to be getting out of Rondale Moore is what they hoped they would be getting when they drafted Andy Isabella. Um, I think he's just, he's, you know, Rondale is a more dynamic athlete. He's got more nuance. He's got, you know, um, he's, he's got more dynamic playmaking ability. You know, the big question there is, you know, K- Cliff Kingsbury has not really delivered on the promise. Now, I think, you know, Kyler Murray is, you know, sort of covering that up a little bit, um, you know, with his stellar play. But, you know, if you really dig into the schematics that Kingsbury is doing, there's a lot to critique there, um, especially with the way that he's using his players. So if he's kind of failing to incorporate, you know, Rondale Moore in creative ways, you know, do does that become a wasted pick or, or do they move on from clip from Kingsbury? And, and so it's kind of like the argument we had with um, Kadarius Tony. Um, But, but that's kind of a question there. And, and I, I do hear that, you know, this is, this is his year. They he needs to show, he needs to make, take a step forward. The only other questionable aspect of the draft, um, you know, and it's it's really nitpicking because I love, you know, Zabin Collins as a player, but off-ball linebacker is, is sort of the uh, running back of the defense. You know, it is not a very valuable position for the defense. Um, now, you know, they're the quarterback of the defense. A lot of times they're calling plays. They're organizing people out there. That mental aspect is, you know, is important. But when you look at the, uh, the value of the contracts, um, you know, a lot of teams are going into um, – you know, two and even just kind of one single linebacker out there, um, you know, and they also had Jordan Hicks, right? Um, so did, you know, if you're not really addressing a hole in your off, like a hole on your roster, um, you know, they, they kind of just made Hicks redundant and I don't know that they're going to get anything from him. So they just drafted Isaiah Simmons. Um, you know, I, I think that's, it allows them to be extremely creative and versatile on their defense. It's, nitpicking to say you shouldn't select an off-ball linebacker at um in the round one the reason i liked micah parsons is mostly because of the additional aspects that he brings um you know providing pressure um to a quarterback which i think is is a more valuable skill um that that you don't see just kind of from your standard off balls so yeah i mean i I think I agree with just about everything you just said there. I like Collins, but I think it could have been a little bit early for him and how he fits in there, you know, is something to watch closely. I think my favorite pick is right there with you with Rondell Moore. 
can Kingsbury finally get the offense to play like his vision was, right? And what we were kind of promised. We've been waiting on it. And, you know, Moore's a guy that if he could get his college scheme to start working in the NFL, then there's going to be a lot of space and a lot of, you know, opportunity for Moore to really make big plays after the catch, which is obviously his bread and butter and his specialty. And you're right. You know, DeAndre Hopkins is a more of a outside vertical receiver possession style guy, but can win at the catch point. AJ Green, similar, you know, obviously he's now, you know, getting up there in age and injuries have kind of taken its toll on him. So he's probably just more of a possession guy now, but they needed, they needed some explosion there, right? That's not DeAndre Hopkins strong suit. That's not, never was even AJ Green, he could win vertically, but not like this elite speed. They thought they were getting that with Isabella and it just hasn't materialized, right? And so they're going back to the well with a guy in Rondell Moore who is way more talented than when Isabella was coming out. Obviously, he's battled some injuries and durability concerns his last couple of years in college. But if they can get back Rondell Moore to the guy who he was as a freshman, he could add an explosive dynamic aspect that they desperately need on the offense there. So, yeah, I... I didn't love their draft collectively. I like a couple of things they did. I'm a wait and see approach how the rest of the pieces there fit together. So Jeff, why don't you take it on to the Rams next? Yeah. Another draft um, that I think uh, probably goes below average. Uh, if you look at, you know, all the draft grades. So uh, the Rams, their first pick was in round two where they select Chatarius Tutu Atwell, the wide receiver out of Louisville. And in round three, uh, they grab Ernest Jones, a linebacker out of South Carolina at number 103 overall. They grab Bobby Brown in round four. He's a D tackle from Texas A&M. And Robert Rochelle, the cornerback out of Central Arkansas at pick 130. And they get Jacob Harris at the end of round four, the wide receiver, maybe tight end out of, you know, athlete out of UCF. Um, and round five, they grab Ernest Brown, the fourth, the defensive end out of Northwestern. Um, I'll start with the value pick. Just, you know, there wasn't a ton I liked, but um, just Robert Rochelle, he had um, some fans putting him right around that top hundred kind of top or priority top of day three. They get him at pick 130. Um, my favorite pick here would be Jacob Harris. Just because, um, I, you know, I was really intrigued to see where he would go. He made Bruce Feldman's freak list. Um, I do think he, you know, he, he could be probably better as like an outside weapon at wide receiver. Um, but his versatility to potentially be um, a move tight end um, allows them to have a, a movable chess piece. Um, and really stress out um, defenses and what kind of personnel they would use um, if he ends up um, developing um, on his potential. So he's just, just to note, a very raw prospect, um, you know, who, you know, essentially was playing soccer until his, his sort of sophomore year when he was a special teamer and, you know, and became a role player his junior, senior year. So he, you know, as far as his football career goes, you know, is, is you know, not necessarily, um, he, he's got a lot of uh, runway ahead of him, um, it's just you don't always see that develop in the NFL. 
Um, I'll touch on kind of my least favorite pick here was uh, 2-2 Atwell. I think you see it uh, every year when teams overpay for speed. Um, I know that they're looking for that element because they, they, they brought in Deshaun Jackson, who, you know, you can maybe count for three games. Um, hopefully he's healthy because he's, he's so fun to watch. But, um, you know, it looks like they're trying to have a contingency plan there. But at, at, at pick 57, I think that's really rich. You know, it's it's sort of hard to look at a, a player at 150 pounds and and kind of see them panning out in the NFL. Um, you know, and and what is it? You know, is he going to play the slot? You know, does that kind of wear Cooper Cup? And they just drafted Van Jefferson. You know, they kind of fit there. Um, so I just think with the premium draft capital, they could have done much better uses. Yeah, I'm right there with you on on the Tutu Atwell because like you look at Tutu Atwell and there's just not a lot of players his you know who fit his profile who have made it in the NFL. And if you really wanted that speed component, why not maybe in the third round or, or it would have, it would, I think it would have involved a, a trade up or a trade back in round you know from round two into round three, picked up more assets, take a guy like Anthony Schwartz. At least he had the speed, but the size and the frame that you can put him on the outside, which didn't then impact what you wanted to do with Cooper Cup, who's best inside. You could have taken a shot on Marcus Stevenson late. And you, you look at these teams who overvalue speed, and then you look at what the Bears did last year when they just waited and took Darnell Mooney, who had a really productive year, that speed guy, much later in the draft, though. So I, I don't get the 2-2 Atwell pick. I understand the premise, right? They're looking for that guy. They've been trying. you know, They missed that component that Brandon Cooks gave them when he was there to have that vertical threat down the field. And now that they got rid of Jared Goff, they want to start incorporating the vertical game more in it. But Tutu Atwell's got to play inside. And then you're kicking Cooper Cup to the outside where he's not as productive and as effective. And then is Tutu going to make be able at his size and frame to make an impact in the NFL? I think it's very questionable. You could have went other routes with that pick. I mean, I'd have to look it up, but I think he went before Terrace Marshall or yep. – so, I mean, they could have taken Terrace Marshall, who could be a vertical threat on the outside, and he could have been that outside guy, and you could have still then not impacted Cooper Cup playing inside, and sometimes they, they kick Robert Woods in there. So there was a lot of things they could have done with that. So I didn't really wasn't really a fan of their draft. There's some things I liked. I like Bobby Brown in round four. I think he's a good run stuff in defensive tackle. I agree with you on Jacob Harris. And I don't re- recall this, and I was just listening to a podcast, and I don't remember which one it was, and I, I'm playing the catch-up game a little bit. So it was definitely more of like a draft-based podcast. But they said on this podcast that they announced today to draft him as tight end Jacob Harris. If mm-hmm. that's where what they're thinking of, and I don't know that. Like I can't confirm that that was what it was. I know on the NFL draft tracker it says wide receiver. I know there was some talk before the draft that he might be a, a conversion. If they convert him to tight end, that pick goes from intriguing to really, really intriguing if they're thinking about making him a move tight end because that slight adjustment, is, is I think, is impactful for real life and very impactful for fantasy mm-hmm. life. He is a guy who does intrigue me a lot as a guy who could emerge into something, whether it's an outside wide receiver or a tight end, a move tight end. He does intrigue me a little bit. So I'm glad you brought him up. I'm right there with you in lockstep. So why don't you keep this moving uh, with the next team in the West? 
Next team, we got to talk about uh, a team close to my heart, San Francisco 49ers. They dominate the uh, pre-draft process by uh, going ahead and giving up uh, the farm. Two round one picks, a round three pick to get to pick, and, and they're 12 to get to pick um, three overall, where they select uh, not Justin Fields. They select Trey Lance, the quarterback out of uh, North Dakota State. Uh, in round two, they grab Aaron Banks, the guard out of Notre Dame at 48 overall. In round three, they traded up and selected Trey Sermon running back out of OSU at number at pick 88. And they ended um, the, the round three uh, with a comp pick for Ambry Thomas, the quarterback out of Michigan. In round five, uh, Jalen Moore, the tackle out of Western Michigan and Diamandre. Diamador Lenoir, the cornerback out of Oregon, and Talanoa Hufanga, the safety out of USC. So, I mean, favorite pick, you can maybe call this a questionable one. Trey Lance, you know, I'm excited. That's, you know, really what they needed. That's what they were missing. We talk about teams being a quarterback away. Garoppolo took them to a Super Bowl, but, you know, was clearly the limiting factor for that team. The NFL did seem to be higher on Trey Lance than Justin Fields. I mean, you saw Fields fall. There were a lot of teams at Trey Lance's Pro Day, Carolina, Denver, Atlanta, New England. Three of those teams passed on Justin Fields after Trey Lance was picked at pick three. I don't think the 49ers would have been able to get him at pick six. I don't think the 49ers would have gotten him at pick 12. Um, So if that was their guy, um, they gave up what they had to to go get him. You know, the immense upside and his traits. Um, he And then, you know, just another thing. We might critique him for not picking Justin Fields, who was probably, you know, like I said, the number two player overall on, on, in the draft. You know, but if you're going to kind of put them on a similar level of your evaluation, which, it, you know, whether San, I think San Francisco had the preference for Lance, but uh, – if you're going to look at how they fit into your offense, um, Trey Lance is a perfect scheme fit, you know, for Kyle Shanahan and, and his traits fit better than what Justin Fields strengths were. Um, and I think that may, you know, may have been um, sort of the element that led them down that path, you know, especially as you saw them sort of catering, you know, pro day workouts, you know, to their offense. Um, I will say the value picks I'm going to, Dip into round five, um, and I'm going to actually pick two here. Jalen Moore is a good backup ta- uh, tackle talent um, to get in round five. I think that's phenomenal value. Um, I do think eventually he's got the opportunity in a few years to develop into a starter at right tackle if McGlinchey, if they move on from him. Um, or, you know, potentially they move him to guard and and sort of allow him to um, – you know, use his good movement skills there. And I just wanted to touch on Telenoa Hufanga, who, you know, after digging into him post-draft, again, just love having a defensive playmaker back there. It's been something that they've really missed. Um, They have not really had um, a stable, um, you know, strong safety position there. You know, Jishkwiski Tart is always injured. Um, And so now they have somebody who can roam the middle of the field. And my questionable pick, you know, I I touched on why you might um, argue Trey Lance, but I wanted to highlight, um, you know, I think 
48 was early to take Aaron Banks. Um, and I also just question his feet, uh, or sorry, his fit, mostly because of his feet. Um, so he's a really strong bully of an O-lineman. Um, I think he's really good for, say, like a power team, like it fit perfectly in Dallas. Um, I'm not really sure he fits into the outside zone running scheme that they have. I just don't think he's an agile mover. He's got heavier feet. Um, and, um, and this is where I think I would really question their draft. You know, they have a serious need in the secondary. They traded out of pick 44. Um, they traded down five picks, you know, where they got Aaron Banks at 48, but, uh, they got sniped, um, by both, um, Dallas and, um, the chargers with Kelvin Joseph and, uh, Asante Samuel Jr. Who I really liked, um, on pick, uh, you know, 44 and 40 and the pick right before them in 47. And in round three, you know, they traded up for Trey Sermon, but they also got sniped again on cornerback with uh, Elijah Molden and uh, Melifonwu going just picks before pick 102 when they got Ambry Thomas. Now, I think that's a guy they really like. He wasn't as high on my board. I know people have gone into dissected him and looked at his fit into that um, offense. But, you know, I just think uh, they could have addressed that position. A position earlier, especially without the uh, Aaron Banks fit, uh, with my questions there. Yeah, I mean, I think you you nailed it pretty much with that analysis. I like Aaron Banks, the player, Ted early maybe, but the the fit is weird, right? Because he's a phone booth player. He's a smash you in the mouth. He doesn't really fit that outside zone scheme, which has been the hallmark of you know Kyle Shanahan and you know and his father, right? That's the Shanahan scheme. So I think it's interesting to to see it, you know, and they draft Trey Sermon, who a lot of people think he can run that outside scheme very effectively. And they really wanted him and they, and they made the move to make sure they got him. So you kind of see what they're trying to put together there, but that just good player, the fit and the scheme make you, you know, raise your eyebrows a little bit there. We've talked a lot about Trey Lance. So I don't have to get into it. I love the the bold move. I give them all the credit in the world for being aggressive, realizing that they needed to upgrade at the quarterback position to really become a legitimate Super Bowl contender. I like Trey Lance is upside more than Zach Wilson, who went a pick earlier. While while Fields was my guy, I, I, there wasn't a massive difference between Fields and Lance that it makes me think, oh, bad pick or anything like that. No, because I think Lance's ceiling is higher because there's a little bit more unknown there that if we saw another whole year, he might have been a consensus. Even to the, you know, the the draft Twitter community, he might have been consensus, uh, you know, the number two quarterback in this class to be you know, to be truthfully honest. So there's so much to like about him. And then you talk about, we talked a lot about on draft night, the scheme fit, the perfect fit for quarterback to scheme. And that was Lance to Shanahan. So I'm excited to see it play out. I hope it's sooner rather than later, to be honest with you, because I really want to see this kid play in that offense. And I think that offense could protect him as he's developing a little bit and he'll rely a little bit more on his rushing capabilities. So I do think he could have success right out of the gate. If he played the whole year, I think he could win rookie of the year, to be honest with you, with the team around him and the scheme and the fit. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to kind of see how quickly he gets out there. So 
Jeff, why don't you round out the NFC West with the Seattle Seahawks? They only made three picks, so you could kind of treat this any way you want. Just talk about each pick. You could do the value, you know, favorite and questionable if you want. Uh, but, you know, we usually don't only have a team with three yeah. picks to really break it down. Well, hopefully we don't take too long on them and we can keep yeah. it going here. But uh, round two, they select Dwayne Eskridge, wide receiver out of Western Michigan at pick 56. Round four, they select Trey Brown, cornerback out of Oklahoma, pick 137. And in round six, and and this was, I think, uh, my value pick and probably my favorite pick, they select Stone Forsyth, the tackle out of Florida at pick 208. Um, if I could say my favorite value pick was the, the round one and round three picks that they traded to the Jets for Jamal Adams, I would because, you know, that's how they only have three picks here is they traded for... Uh, Jamal Adams, um, who has made a big impact for them. Um, Stone Forsyth, just to touch on him, he's in a he's a really good tackle prospect, um, especially to be getting it in round six, um, and immediately addresses a weak spot on that roster, and so they're going to get uh, a lot more out of him than what they invested. Questionable. Yeah, oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah I was just going to say. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say foresight. Yeah, like, I mean, there was a lot of talk that he could have been around three, round four guys. So it's hard it's hard to not like that pick in terms of where they got him there late, late in the draft at 208 overall in round six. Sorry. Well, we should just, um, you know, lastly for the Seahawks, I, I, and especially considering the fantasy implications, we we have to touch on Dwayne Eskridge. Um, I'm not a fan of the pick. Uh, that would be my questionable pick. You just talked about how um, – uh, Tutu Atwell went before uh, Terrace Marshall. So did Dwayne Eskridge. Um, they just signed Tyler Lockett to an extension. I think, you know, Eskridge is sort of a redundant skill set there. Um, DK Metcalf is there to already make big splash plays. So, you know, you could argue that's what Eskridge can be as far as, you know, him being just a, you know, a burner. But, you know, would you rather throw the ball to DK Metcalf down the field? I would. Um, they've got a run heavy offense. Um, there are better wide receivers on the board and, and just honestly, you know, is this the type, is this a position? Is this what you needed to spend that pick on pick 56? Like, you know, would you rather invest in maybe a bigger difference making position? We saw some defensive ends go at the end of round two. Um, you know, that's a much more premier position. Um, they got a great tackle in round six, but you know, maybe you get, uh, you know, more of a line presence or a cornerback there. I just kind of question um, the investment they made in Eskridge as well. We we also talked about, you know, why are you overpaying for speed when you can get somebody on day three? So Yeah, I mean, I, I don't mind Eskridge the player. I thought he was around three talent. I know he's a little bit older. I don't take that too much into my, you know, uh, analysis when I'm just straight watching the film. So there's things I like about Eskridge's game. I just question going over some of the other receivers that we've talked about. And I do struggle with the fit, like, you know, and you can make the case that they could have pivoted to a different position of value unless they're going to change philosophy and with the new offensive coordinator, they're really going to open it up and they're going to want to go three wide more. And I still think you could question it because then why not a guy like Terrace Marshall or someone who can play on the outside, keep locking on the inside, you know, so I think he's going to get an opportunity to play a lot and he's playing with a, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in football and Russell Wilson. So if they give Russell Wilson an opportunity to throw the ball 40, 45 times a game and Eskridge is on the field a lot, I think he's going to make plays. I, I like the skill set. I just think there's other receivers they could have went. 
I think he is more of a vertical slot wide receiver. I know there's been some talk that he's going to do, you know, some other things, jet sweeps, manufacture touches. Okay. I didn't think that was a strong suit of his. Maybe he just wasn't asked to do it. I thought he was more explosive, linear, like straight line speed than like the quickness and, and stuff like that. But I'm open to see what they do with it on offense because Russell Wilson is so good. So if you give him another playmaker, I'm intrigued by it. But I do think there's other receivers they could have went. They could have pivoted to a different position. And I would have rather them see if they go receiver, just take a more traditional outside guy, not a guy who I think is best as a vertical slot player where that's where Tyler Lockett's at his best too. So I think there's a bunch of things you could have questioned about it for sure. So I'm right there with you as well. So that is the NFC West. Let's close out the night by going right to the NFC South and get started with the Atlanta Falcons. Obviously they started out round one at pick four with tight end Kyle Pitts out of Florida in round two, pick 40 overall. It took Richie Grant safety out of UCF. Round three, pick 68 overall. It took Jalen Mayfield, offensive tackle out of Michigan. In round four, pick 108 overall. It took Darren Hall, cornerback out of San Diego State. Also in round four, pick 114. They took Drew Dalman, center out of Stanford. Round five, they take Taquan Graham, defensive lineman out of Texas. Also in round five, they take Avery Williams, cornerback, out of Boise State. And then notable pick, round six, they took Frank Darby, wide receiver, out of Arizona State. In terms of my favorite pick, obviously it's got to be Kyle Pitts, right? I mean, he is a generational type player at the tight end position. He is a unicorn. We've talked about him at length of just how special of a player he can be. I think it was Lance Erline said, basically, you know, you look at him and if he was just a wide receiver, you could say he has a lot of similarities to Calvin Johnson. I mean, that's how freakish of an athlete he is. That's how freakish of a player is ball skills, body control, you know? So while he's my favorite pick, I do think the conversation needs to also be had though, that you could easily make the case that he's the most questionable pick. Because they bypass locking in a quarterback of the future by not taking Justin Fields. He's a homegrown Atlanta kid. They could have invested the pick in him. I, it would be interesting to know that, was it always Pitts? Since the draft, it sounds like they were always Pitts. They were never really thinking quarterback. I know there were some people at I thought that maybe they were all in on Trey Lance. And if he was there, he might've been the pick, but it sounds like post-draft that that was never the case. It was always Kyle Pitts, but I do think you could at least question it of whether or not they should have thought more about the quarterback there in, in fields over Pitts. but it's hard to argue with just how special of a player Kyle Pitts is. If you want to go a different round in terms of a questionable pick, I think you can go Darren Hall. I think that was a little bit of a reach there to start day three, uh, the cornerback out of San Diego State. In terms of value pick, I guess I'm going to say Jalen Mayfield only because early in the draft process, he was generating some late round one, early round two buzz. You look at Daniel Jeremiah's first mock draft right around the senior bowl, and Jalen Mayfield was at the end of round one. As more mock drafts and as we got later into the draft season, you didn't see him in that round one or, or even – too often in round two. So I think by the end of the draft season, he was more of that early third round guy. That's where he ends up going. But there, you know, there was a period of time that, 
you know, he was maybe going much earlier than that. I think you could also make the case Drew Dalman is a really good value pick. I think he's got starting center capabilities and they got him in round four. You know, and I already talked about Kyle Pitts as the questionable and also Darren Hall. So the Falcons did a lot of things I liked. I'm intrigued by Mayfield and Dalman adding more quality talent there on the offensive line. And then Pitts, uh, as we talked about, it's hard not to like the Pitts pick. But Jeff, thoughts on what Atlanta did there with Pitts over Fields, adding a couple more pieces to the O-line, adding Richie Grant. Any, any thoughts on, on the Falcons? So um, I'll go in-depth on Pitts. Real, it, one in brief, so we keep it small, keep it quick. Richie Grant, um, you know, I, I I did think it was a shock going over uh, Trayvon Morick, but when you look at you know Atlanta and actually trying to replace Keanu Neal, you know Grant is the more natural fit there. Um, so that is kind of interesting um, for your IDP leagues. I want to touch on you know kind of the quarterback Kyle Pitts, Justin Fields. What do you do at pick four? I mean. With my evaluation of Justin Fields, I, it's really hard to say no to Kyle Pitts because of, you know, you just guys like him just don't come around in drafts. And and maybe you'll be able to address the quarterback position in a year or two. Um, so I understand the logic that they had. Quarterback's just such an impactful position. And when you have such a, pro, a prospect like Justin Fields, I just think, you know, they're always it, it is a questionable decision not to go that route. You know, we'll see how, you know, we'll see how these kind of careers pan out. But I think what's most interesting about this is, is the Julio Jones, right? So if you're going to, if you're going to pick Kyle Pitts and not go with Justin Fields, you're surrounding Matt Ryan, you know, with the weapons and the talent, you know, to really have a high octane offense and stress defenses. And, and, you know, maybe you kind of, you know, maybe you can outscore other teams, right? Offense, offense kind of um, can carry you really far in the NFL, you know, with the way that these rules are. So trading Julio Jones now, you know, it, that to me, you know, that's, that's taking a step back from your strategy. And um, I, that, that's kind of my question right there is, you know, if, if you're going to trade Julio Jones, take Justin Fields, kind of commit to, you know, building around him and Calvin Ridley. Uh, that That's kind of the questionable right there. I just, I'm not really sure, you know, and it sounds like, you know, they could make cap room, right? Like they need to, they need to make cap room to sign their draft picks and they could make cap room by extending some key defensive players. Um, we'll see what, what happens. Um, I kind of hope Julio stays the Falcon. I'd love to see that offense. It doesn't sound like that's going to happen. I mean, you know, a trade might happen tomorrow. Uh, for all we know. So uh, that's that's my interesting thoughts there with Pitts, Fields, and Julio all kind of being one big question mark. Yeah, I'm right there with you because to me, when you make the Pitts pick, you're saying we're all in to be an elite offense in the net for the next couple of years, and we are doing this to prolong Matt Ryan being an impactful high-level quarterback. To then take away his best – whether you want to call him best or second best at this point now with Calvin Ridley, his 1A, 1B, whatever you want to call Julio Jones, he is still a high-level elite receiver when he's on the football field. This isn't this isn't the Bengals moving on from A.J. Green. And I know A.J. Green and Julio Jones are attached by the hip. They came in that same draft class. But A.J. Green, has his injuries have slowed him to the point where he's not the same player anymore. 
Julio Jones is still an elite player when he's healthy and he's on the football field. So to me, you you just replace him with Pitts. The offense is still probably good, but it's not elite elite, and their defense is still a work in progress. So to me, if Pitts is there with Julio and Ridley, you have a potential to be one of the best five offenses in football and then see if that's good enough to carry you to the playoffs. You take out Julio, it changes the whole narrative. Then at that point, why not just do the full rebuild and make the investment? And maybe it's just, I just didn't like Justin Fields. A lot of teams didn't seem to really be that high on him for whatever reason. And then I guess if that's the case, so be it, you know, you know, each team made that decision, but you know, if they liked him as a prospect, and they knew they were going to trade Julio, then they should have probably just invested in the quarterback and went that process. So let's take this to Carolina. They're up next at pick eight. A little bit of a surprise here. J.C. Horn, the cornerback out of South Carolina. There was a lot of talk they were going to trade back. There was talk that you know they were thinking quarterback themselves, but they stay there. They take J.C. Horn, one of the top two cornerbacks in the class. Then in pick 59, round two, they took Terrace Marshall Jr., the wide receiver out of LSU. We've talked about him a lot, so he's clearly a, we're clearly a fan of him. Round three, pick 70 overall, they took Brady Christensen, the offensive tackle out of Brigham Young. Round three, pick 83 overall, they take Tommy Tremble, tight end out of Notre Dame. Pick 126 in round four, they took Juba Hubbard, running back out of Oklahoma State. In round five, pick 158 overall, they take Davion Nixon, defensive tackle out of Iowa. And then also in round five, they take Keith Taylor, cornerback out of Washington. I got to be honest with you, there's not a lot to nitpick here. I really thought the Panthers did a really strong job here in terms of they moved around a lot. I think they picked up some future draft capital next year, you know, J.C. Horn, they get a guy who is considered one of the top corners in the class. Maybe somebody like Sertan better, you know, style of play there goes a lot in determining, you know, who was better between Horn and Sertan. Terrace Marshall, I thought was a round one caliber wide receiver. I think he is a one of the few true prototypical X receivers. I know he played some slot in college. I think he should play on the outside. It'd be interesting to see if that's where he plays in Carolina. Do they kick, you know, do they kick uh, DJ Moore inside a little bit? I think that's to be determined. So for me, Terrace Marshall is my value pick. You can make the case of my favorite pick, but I'll say that JC Horn was my favorite pick, but Marshall would be my value pick because I thought he could have went higher than that late round one, early round two. I see Allen Robinson, Kenny Galladay. Like that's my comparison. That kind of spectrum player. I think Terrace Marshall can be there. So I really, and he gets reunited with Joe Brady, who knows him well. So I think that's a, a quick match made in heaven right there until Joe Brady probably moves on sooner rather than later to be a head coach. I also like the Tommy Tremble pick. I, I don't see anything that I really question. So I'm interested. Uh, Jeff, to hear your take on the Panthers, is there something that you really see as questionable? I mean, I guess we could keep coming back to the quarterback discussion, right? Should they have taken Justin Fields, right? We could we could do that with every team in that range that didn't take him. You know, I think Justin Fields is going to be a much high level quarterback compared to Sam Darnold. Uh, so I guess that could be the questionable thing. But is there anything else that you see that you had some question marks about? Yeah, I'm mad at them for not taking Justin Fields. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I think there was a lot of talk before the draft of, you know, is it Sam Darnold trade? You know, it wasn't nothing draft capital. I think it was two or four and a six to get Sam Darnold. 
you know, did that preclude them from taking a cornerback quarterback if the value was there? And it, and it meant that they didn't have to give up a lot to go up and get a quarterback. Um, but it sounds like, you know, with the way that this draft fell out for them, that they're happy with Sam Darnold, that that trade meant that they were out of the quarterback market. And, you know, maybe that's the questionable move is, is trading a two, a four and a six for Sam Darnold when, you know, you could have sat at eight and, and picked Justin Fields. I, you know, I mentioned that there was kind of like a fit between Trey Lance and Justin Fields within San Francisco. I think Justin Fields would have been an amazing fit in Carolina. I would have loved to see him with Joe Brady. I would have loved to see him with those weapons, especially with Terrace Marshall getting added to it. You know, hard to, hard to argue kind of, you know, getting a really premier cornerback that is a valuable position. JC Horn's a great player. You know, um, we could do the Justin Fields thing all night. You know, we can we can kind of move past that. You know, I did think Brady Christensen was a good pick. You know, I really like Davion Nixon um, in round five. Um, you know, Chuba Hubbard had an electric 2019, um, a questionable 2020. Even his 2019 tape, I had some questions on. Um, some people talked about him as one of the top running backs. I don't have a problem with him in round four though. Um, I do think that, that he can provide a good electric change of pace and they didn't invest too much with pick 126. So um, yeah. So, you know, there's not a lot to question, I think beyond, you know, my person, my personal preference for, you know, for Justin Fields, but um, you know, uh, they did a phenomenal job um, with, uh, with the rest of their draft there. Yeah, I really like what the Panthers did there. So let's take this over to the New Orleans Saints, where I did not like their collection of draft picks collectively. In round one, I pick 28. They took Peyton Turner, defensive end out of Houston. In pick uh, round two, pick 60 overall, they took Pete Werner, linebacker out of Ohio State. In round three, pick 76 overall, they took Paulson Adebo, cornerback out of Stanford. In round four, pick 133 overall, they took Ian Book, quarterback out of Notre Dame. And then one intriguing late round guy, I am a little intrigued with their round seven pick, Kawan Baker, wide receiver out of South Alabama. They do not have a lot of speed at the wide receiver position and explosiveness. And Kawan Baker was a guy I had on my radar as a guy who I thought could go in round five or round six. He falls to round seven, but he's an intriguing player there that I'm going to keep tabs on as a guy that I think their depth chart is really wide open after Michael Thomas, you know, he's coming from South Alabama. So, I mean, he's a little bit behind the eight ball. He's got no draft capital, but he's just a guy in the back of my radar. I'm going to keep on and, and keep tabs on. I'd be interested to watch him in preseason uh, because I do like his skill set a little bit there from, you know, from South Alabama in terms of my favorite pick, I guess it's Paulson Adebo, the cornerback out of Stanford. They needed some help at the cornerback position. I think Adebo's got some intriguing traits and skill set, and that was probably one of the few picks that I thought was at least appropriate value in terms of where it should have went. Uh, you know, I don't really see a strong value pick anywhere in this draft. I guess I'll say Kawan Baker because I, I was intrigued by him and thought he could have went around five or round six. Questionable picks. I think you can make up and down the board here. Uh, I think the most egregious mistake was Ian Book in round four. I think it's a complete waste of a pick. Uh, they could have got somebody there who could have been much more, you know, uh, a part of the team in terms of, 
either a st- uh, competing for a starting job or a high-level depth player. I just don't think Ian Book's a quarterback at the NFL level. I just don't think he has the arm talent. You know, I think the intangibles could only take him so far. I think he's going to maybe, if he if all broke right, maybe he can be Colt McCoy, you know, with the arm talent concerns. But even then, so that w- I was okay with Ian Book being around six or around seven pick if that's who you were hoping he materialized into because I do think there's a lot of question marks about that. So I, I really dislike that. I thought Peyton Turner was a little bit of a reach. I don't, they clearly have a prototype at defensive end. He fits it. Uh, and he was getting some late steam there leading up to the draft process. But I thought he was more of like a early, the mid second round guy at, at, at best, more of a mid round, mid second round guy. So to go late round one, I thought it was a little bit of a reach. Pete Warner, I think, is a solid player, but even him, I think, is a little bit questionable in terms of where they took him. Could they have pivoted to a different spot? Jeff, Saints here, you know, I know you follow the IDP side of things closely. Do you have different takes on Turner and and Werner? Do you think they were reaches a little bit, you know, by maybe by about a half a round? I think each of them were maybe by about a half a round too early. Do you like those guys uh, in terms of what New Orleans did here? I think that's the right assessment. Um, similar to how I kind of mentioned on Green Bay, they, you know, going to get a guy that they were high on a little bit early, address the need, um, just kind of, you know, take your picks there. You know, um, yeah, half a round early, they were getting some buzz, especially Peyton Turner. So, you know, are you going to risk getting them at the right spot or are you just going to get them? Um you know, on the IDB side, you know, while they might have been kind of slightly reach, um, you know, their landing spot has a lot of value. They have, you know, a lot of opportunity, you know, for those two players there. Um, and just right with you with Ian Book, I just, you scratch your head on that one. Um, they're maybe they're trying to find the next, you know, their um, Taysom Hill gadget. I But I don't think you have to find him in round four. So... Yeah, it, it pretty questionable there. I'd say my my favorite pick there is is kind of Paulson Adebo. As you know, that was just one other tar- corner target that I I, I kind of hoped for the, you know the 49ers would have on the radar. Um, yeah, goes up there and the Saints. Um, so and that he should you know be a good good member of that secondary. Yeah, I mean, I think Adebo has a chance to maybe start right at a get go because they do need some cornerback help there. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see how quickly he gets on the football field. And let's round out the night: the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers in round one, pick thirty-two overall. They take Joe Tryon, edge out of Washington. In round two, pick sixty-four overall. They take maybe Tom Brady's heir apparent, Kyle Trask, quarterback out of Florida. In round three, pick ninety-five overall. They take Robert Hainsey, offensive tackle out of Notre Dame. Round four, they take Jalen Darden, wide receiver out of North Texas. Round five, K.J. Britt, linebacker out of Auburn. I think my favorite pick is is uh, Joe Tryon. He was a guy that I had my eye on for the Giants in this early part of the second round, so I don't think it was that much of a reach. I really think he's got high-level traits to be a impactful pass rusher. They might be eyeing him to, to replace JPP a year out from now, so I like that. In terms of value picks, I don't think there was a lot that I saw as much value here. So I'm going to say another pick that I really liked was Jalen Darden, the wide receiver out of North Texas. You know, we talked about teams like 
the Rams reaching for, you know, Tutu Atwell and some other teams reaching for certain wide receivers. Jalen Darden was a guy who you could have waited to day three if you wanted to add that speed, that explosive element. I really like Jalen Darden. I know they got a very crowded depth chart there in Tampa Bay, but they made it a point to go up and trade for this guy. So don't think he's just going to get buried as like the sixth or seventh wide receiver and not get an opportunity. You know, so whether that pushes somebody like, you know, Twitter favorite Tyler Johnson off the roster or somebody because you know, they have a crowded wide receiver room there with, you know, Mike Evans, Chris Gowan, and Antonio Brown right at the top. And then other guys that were already in there, Jalen Darden's going to find a home there. And if they move on from, you know, Chris Gowan at any point, you know, is Darden the guy who can rise up a little bit? I'm going to be keeping close tabs on him. I'm very intrigued by him, even though right now he's buried on that depth chart. In terms of questionable pick, I'll say Kyle Trask. I already had my take before when we were talking about Kellen Mond. You know, day two quarterbacks don't pan out too often. They just don't, and you're wasting a valuable resource. Now, Tampa Bay doesn't have a lot of holes and weaknesses, so maybe, you know, they they see that. But to me, when the time comes that they want to replace Brady, I'm not sure Kyle Trask is the guy who's going to be a high-end starter. I Again, I understand the value of a backup quarterback, but you can't tell me at pick 64 they're using a second-round pick on a guy that they hope just becomes their backup quarterback. That just seems – you know, this doesn't seem to fit the narrative of what of how valuable second round picks are in trades across the league. So I question whether or not I, I think Trask is okay. I don't think he's that far removed from Mac Jones that there should have been this gap between them. But I even with that said, I think his ceiling is a average to functional starter that I think the Bucks would quickly want to look to upgrade. So if they get that at the end of the second round, I guess that's a win, right, to get a functional starter at the end of the second round. I just think it's going to be a guy that they're going to have higher aspirations and then they're going to look to move on from him anyway and, or at least upgrade on him, and, and he's just going to be kind of locked in there as a backup. And to me, it's too much of a, a, a valuable pick there at 64 to lock in a guy who's either an average starter or uh, or backup quarterback when you could have went a different position and maybe had another future starter lined up for when you have in, inevitably had to lose some of your key players uh, that you did not have to use this offseason. Jeff, any any thoughts here on Tampa Bay to close out the night? Yeah, let's, let's kind of take it from a fantasy angle here. Um, you mentioned the crowded wide receiver depth chart, um, but next year uh, you may not see Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin may leave. You know, I think Tyler Johnson showed uh, well enough in his snaps that he'll stay on the roster. He'll probably keep his spot. Um, but Jalen Darden's an, an upgrade over Scotty Miller, um, who you also saw, you know, have a bit of an impact uh, last year as well. So, you know, I do think there is a role for Darden on this team. I'm going to have a, I'm just going to offer a different take for Kyle Trask. Um, I understand your points there. And I, and I think if I were going to make a day two pick on quarterback, that would have been the guy I targeted. I would have, you know, not Mond, you know, not Mills. I would have targeted Kyle Trask. And, you know, we've seen New England do this behind Brady for years um, and recoup value. Um, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo for one, um, you know, I think Matt Flynn was one of those guys that went, you know, maybe they didn't get anything out of him, but, you know, he got paid a lot of money from Seattle. You know, there is some some desire there. Um, I think 
rushing quarterbacks into starting roles is is not necessarily the most effective way um, to bring someone along in the position that's you know one of the most demanding and intellectually in the league. And so sitting for a couple years, um, you know, behind you know one of the greatest to ever do it, you know, I, I think it gives him a chance, right? It's not like Tampa Bay is going to really be in a position to select a quarterback. Um, or at least a preferred quarterback um, at the top of the draft anytime soon. Now, maybe they you know trade a bunch of picks down the line or they kind of go into a rebuild after Brady leaves. You know, they do seem to be all in, um, you know, with the way that they're building the roster for these two years. But, you know, with picks like Jalen Darden, um, with picks like Tyler Johnson, you know, with picks like uh, Joe Tryon, you know, and they have young guys in, Devin White, you know, it doesn't mean that they have to, um, you know, be a bad team post post Tom Brady. And I think, you know, I can understand the vision that they have, um, you know, in hoping that, you know, Kyle Trask can be a, you know, a good starting quarterback, functional starting quarterback. You know, a lot of times that's all you get out of a round one quarterback. And if you get that at the end of round two, you know, you you did your job. Um, you'd love to have a top 10, top five quarterback, but you know, again, it's really hard to get in position to get one of those guys. So just a, just maybe, um, an opposite thought on, on Kyle Trask for people to kind of mull over. I definitely see your point there though. Um, especially if you are going all in for these two years, are you going to waste your pick on Kyle Trask or, or at least even spend your capital on Kyle Trask or just more supporting, uh, you know, more supporting players for, for your Super Bowl runs. Yeah, I mean, and, and you make a good point there. They don't have a lot of holes. So I guess if there's a team that is going to take that gamble on a quarterback on day two, to me, I could see more merit for a team like them than some of the other teams, like don't even get me started on Houston and some other teams that I just think it didn't make much sense for. I think it's up for debate. The, the Kellen Mond, besides the scheme fit there, I don't understand, you know, them. They're trying to upgrade there too. I don't think he's the long-term answer, but, but Tampa Bay doesn't have a lot of holes. So I think it's intriguing and they don't really know how long Brady wants to play. Like we just think he's never going to retire, but they might know something, you know, internally and they might want to have a guy there. So then if they, you know, compete for the Super Bowl again next year. They're probably not going to be able to get a guy in the draft, right? Late round one that, you know, steps right in or whatever, right? So they might value him. They might even have taken a peek at the quarterbacks next year and said, you know, where we're going to be picking. We like Trask more than some of those guys. And you're right. And New England always had somebody behind uh, Brady, right? In the developmental cycle. And you mentioned Matt Flynn. I think you meant Matt Castle. Uh, but, but, whether it was Garoppolo or it was Castle, you know, those guys went on and, and they were valuable to other teams, right? You know, and and Tampa Bay could be looking at that. I, I doubt they move on from him at some point because Brady, you know, Brady will retire probably before Trask's contract ends up, you would think. But, but still having that guy behind working with Brady has its value. I just think you can make the case that, you know, could they have used it a different place? But I don't think, I don't think the, I, I think where they got him is actually, while I question the pick, I think where they got him is good value because all pre-draft cycle, I kept saying that I thought Mac Jones was a second round pick. I thought Kyle Trask was a second round pick. And I thought they were very close in terms of 
their talent level and their skill level. So to have a disparity of pick 15 to pick 64, I don't see that wide of a gap behind between Mac Jones and Kyle Trask. So it's going to be interesting to kind of follow those two guys' careers uh, for, for sure. So that's going to be something, uh, you know, that, that I'll be following closely. And, you know, if Brady ever suffers an injury or whatever, Trask is probably a guy who could at least keep the offense, you know, afloat, uh, you know, and keep it on, you know, on task a little bit there, obviously not at the level of Tom Brady. So there it is guys, all 16 teams in the NFC, in the books paired out with the last episode when we recap the AFC all 32 teams broken down in great detail. Hopefully you enjoyed this process of, of hearing favorite pick, value pick, questionable picks. Just kind of talking through what they did collectively. Uh, last episode with Chris Chipotle and obviously this episode with Jeff. Jeff, any final parting shots here to close out the night? If not, let the audience know where to find you and anything else. Oh, we got a we got a long one here, so I'm just gonna kind of sign off. Say, find me on Twitter at the Sofa Scout. You know, I'll be on again, and you can hear more about my work there. Hopefully, uh, throw some rankings out for you guys um, in a little bit here. So, but you know, <laughs> we're sitting on uh, sleep time. So, absolutely. So, guys, make sure you're following Jeff. If you enjoy what we're doing here, over uh, please get over to ssfootball.com and it's still not too late to check out the premium notebook. Still a lot of information you can get from that, from this past draft cycle uh, to help you out in your dynasty leagues, Debbie leagues, rookie drafts, et cetera, et cetera. And please get over to the YouTube. If you have not recently checked it out and subscribe and check out the content that Macaraccio has been putting out there. Uh, on his unraveling skill videos, he has done a ton of the wide receivers, a handful of running backs. He's recently uh, did Patrick Sertan, the cornerback who we mentioned uh, before when we were talking about one of the top cornerbacks in the class with J.C. Horn. Uh, so please, you know, I know he's planning on working on one uh, with Michael Parsons as well. So make sure you check those out as well as they have been really uh, intriguing pieces. And Matt's putting a lot of time and effort into making those videos to kind of unravel his process of how he evaluates and, you know, and watches film. So on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.